Sometimes the clock just got to catch up with us. We're just so far ahead of the game here sometimes. I don't know what to say. Sometimes you win. <laughs> sometimes you lose. <laughs> nice lyric there, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, time for midday on the Rural Radio Network. That's a kind of an inside joke. Uh, yeah, that you're not supposed to have a radio, but that's <laughs> Jason uh, was um, part of a uh, a Halloween duo that was just inimitable. Yeah, I even walked into a local business yesterday, and they said, "Hey, Kenny." <laughs> then they got on the phone, and they called back to the doctor, and they said, "Your two forty-five appointment with Kenny Rogers is here." I thought that was pretty good, so, nice. but it was we, fun to sing and dress up on Halloween. Absolutely, did a did a uh, a duet with Lana here at the station. And, Oh, was it Islands in the Stream? You a little bit of Islands in the Stream. Nice. Yes. All right. Well, it is the midday program. Let's get onward upward with the information that you need. And uh, Susan Littlefield is in her studio this morning. How are you, Susan? I am doing well. One more day here in Tucson, Arizona for the U.S. Meat Export Federation meeting. So a lot of business discussion taking place today. And, of course, we'll have more perspective coming from different folks, including uh, Steve Hansen, as he sits on the board and the exec board of USNEF. He is from Southwest Nebraska. So we'll be listening to that report later on today. Well, speaking of midday, though, it is our, one of our last Fridays in the field from the western part of the state. Shabella Guzman is going to catch up with her farmer and talk about how this year's growing season was and, of course, all the adverse weather that he had to deal with. And speaking of weather, Al Dutcher is up at 12.19 to give us a rundown to the forecast going into next week. Hopefully there's uh, no wind involved. We can get these crop out of the ground. And then at 12.45, Dr. Wendy Winterstein is the new dean over at Iowa State University. She's going to be talking with uh, Bruce Gorder about what it means for Iowa and, of course, her strong background in agriculture. They say that's going to be a boost for the university. That's on midday coming from the farm department. All right, very good. Have you had a chance to work on your tan in Tucson? No. <laughs> I have been inside the building. I have seen the pool when I walked uh-huh. past it at about 6.30 in the morning. Oh. And um, I'm watching the, the hills or mountains, whatever you want to call them, from the room I'm sitting in right now. Uh-huh. So, nope, still the same color I was when I left. On Tuesday. All right. Well, we should not envy you. It's a working uh, a working trip, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if you heard behind me. We have one of our rural radio uh, board members from me, and he said he's going to vouch for me that I've been yeah. working pretty hard. Very good. Thank you, Susan. We appreciate it. Onward to uh, sports we go with Jason. Class A, B, and six-man football playoffs continued today and tonight across the state of Nebraska. We will preview one of the big Class B matchups in York tonight as the Dukes take on Scott's Bluff. Also, we'll take a look at the Nebraska-Northwestern football game tomorrow. Northwestern, just as they did a year ago, they started their season very slowly, then they've started to play better. Coach Mike Riley will break it all down for us coming up in sports. So, all of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Just ahead in sports. Very good. Thank you. And Bob Brogan's got business. Stocks are steady at midday. Hiring jumps after the hurricanes. Factory orders rise. BMW recalls 1.4 million vehicles. And also, uh, Equifax did its own little uh, study, and they've decided that four executives didn't commit insider trading. So those are some of the things that are hot on the old burner today. So... Mm. I'm wondering when they will stop recalling cars. Seems like just about everything gets recalled these days. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, you know, little things here and there. Hard to know. All this and more coming up today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins is in and taking a real close look at all the webcams and radar pictures and satellite images and everything else that we have to look at today. And you're saying that we are probably just not going to see a lot of sun for a lot of the day. No, exactly. You may be seeing some hazy sunshine, especially from the Tri-Cities on into southeast Nebraska, but those clouds will continue to get thicker as the day goes on here. All right. Ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Those clouds getting thicker thanks to an easterly flow ahead of an approaching warm front. That's going to lead to some clouds today and also those areas of drizzle in the forecast for later today into this evening. That cloud cover going to keep those temperatures unseasonably cool, especially with these clouds that are so close to the ground. Late tonight and tomorrow morning, some patchy fog expected to develop. Tomorrow, going to be our warmest of the next seven days as a warm front tracks east across the region. Some sunshine returning behind the passage of that warm front, and we could see some near-record highs over southwestern locations, especially over northwest Kansas, where they're talking highs in the upper 70s for the first part of November here. Another cold front Going to dive south for tomorrow night on into Sunday. You knew these warming spots, these little warm days couldn't last long. It means like we get about one day and then about two days or three days of cold weather, and that will be the case again with this other cold front diving south tomorrow night. And that will keep it cool on into early next week. There will be some slight chances of rain and snow for Sunday night into Tuesday night as we see several week disturbances track east across the region. Still, though, a lot of forecast model difference and uncertainty regarding the strength and timing of those disturbances. If we do see some snow, we may get as high as a half an inch in snowfall totals, but mainly in the sand hills. High pressure takes hold for the middle part of next week for some dry weather and also the start of a warming trend. That warming trend showing up in our long-term forecast. Temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas are predicted to start at seasonal levels the mid to late part of next week, but by next weekend through November 16th, a pretty good likelihood of warmer than normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas. Central Nebraska daytime highs usually during that time usually average in the low half of the 50s with overnight lows mostly in the upper 20s. There's now a high likelihood of below normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through November 16th. The weather factors in the market include off and on rain continuing to disrupt the harvest in the Midwest and a promising rain forecast for central Brazil. The next several days, cold air will remain entrenched across much of the northern and western U.S. Weekend temperatures could dip below zero across the northern Rockies and high plains. Some periods of snow will also spread east across the northern U.S. into the upper Great Lakes. Five-day rain totals could reach about one to three inches or more from the Tennessee Valley into the lower Great Lakes. The cool and wet conditions will continue to slow that harvest for the Midwest, especially in the eastern Midwest. Soil moisture in the southern plains currently at favorable levels for wheat after some early season rainfall, but they are watching for a dry trend heading into winter dormancy. After several weeks of hot and dry conditions in central Brazil, that rainfall pattern continues to improve for soybean planting and development. Precipitation in Ukraine and southern Russia is helping to recharge their soil moisture for the winter grains. Colder weather, though, that is forecast will limit the chances for improving crop conditions as they head into winter dormancy for them. All right. Probably not too early to let people know that, you know, Mother Nature is eventually going to cut loose with something on us here. And that it's going to mean snow and it's probably going to mean delays and that sort of thing. And we've got folks covered that way. 
Yep, and if you are going to any of the Husker or Loper games tomorrow, things are looking good. Temperatures in the mid to upper 50s for the games and some improving amounts of sunshine and some light south winds for tomorrow. Uh, things looking very good if you are going to either the Loper game in Kearney or the Husker game in Lincoln. Both either of them one looks, tomorrow afternoon, yeah. Either one looks like upper 50s, maybe 60 degrees. So. Yeah, that, we'll take that for November any day. Yeah, we absolutely <laughs> will, yep. When you need weather any time. KRVN.com. reacting to the House tax reform proposal. I'm Shaley Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The House Ways and Means Committee tax overhaul plan released yesterday provides a blueprint for tax reform. The plan is essentially a set of promotional documents with many details unaccounted for. The documents say the estate tax would be repealed and that the legislation will lower individual and corporate tax rates. Agriculture groups are reviewing the first draft of the legislation. The American Farm Bureau Federation applauded the introduction but acknowledged that AFBF staff will be studying the proposal to ensure the plan reduces the the tax burden on farmers and ranchers. The National Farmers Union opposes the tax plan while supporting efforts to simplify the tax code. Farmers Union President Roger Johnson says the tax plan would shift the nation's tax burden from the top earners in our country to the backs of American family farmers, ranchers, and the middle class. The National Biodiesel Board expressed disappointment because the plan does not include an extension of the biodiesel tax incentives. And the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives also expressed opposition to the tax plan as the organization says eliminating Section 199 would raise taxes on millions of farmers. And Iowa State University is getting a new president. And as Rural Radio Network's Bruce Gorder explains, this one has a strong agricultural background. Dr. Wendy Winterstein has been the dean of Iowa State University's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences for 11 years. I asked her about her vision for Iowa State University as she takes over as president on November 6th. So my vision is to create even greater excellence in that student-centered experience, to make sure that we're taking care of all of our students, that we're enhancing the graduation rates, that we're giving our students out-of-class room experiences that really prepare them to be leaders in their careers and to be successful in their lives. I think also we want to focus on what we do in our research program and how that leads to innovation, to entrepreneurship, and to economic development opportunities in Iowa. I think those two key areas are where I will focus a lot of my time. That's Dr. Wendy Winterstein, incoming president of Iowa State University, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dow DuPont plans to sell its 30 million gallon per year capacity cellulosic ethanol plant in Nevada, Iowa, nearly two years to the day after the company hosted a grand opening. The company held a grand opening on October 30th, 2015, during which then-Governor Terry Branstad and other dignitaries were in attendance. The $225 million plant, which is still in the startup process, was expected to demand about 375,000 tons of corn stover from about 500 local farmers within a 30-mile radius of the plant. The plant was to create about 85 full-time jobs and more than 150 seasonal jobs. In a statement provided to DTN, the company said it will continue to be involved in the broader cellulosic ethanol industry, focusing its business on enzymes and yeasts. As part of Dow DuPont's intent to create a leading specialty products company, we are making a strategic shift in how we participate in the cellulosic biofuels market, the company said. 
According to a filing with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission yesterday, the company's board of directors approved a synergy program that is anticipated to deliver run rate cost synergies of about $3 billion with 24 months. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. For more on any of these stories, including audio and video, head on over to RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening today to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, just as you had mentioned a couple of times leading up to Halloween, we did see snow across much of the state. Didn't stick around long, but can we expect to see some more of that? Or what does the weather look like as we head into this weekend and next week? Well, Shaley, I'm almost uh, scared to put this forecast out there because the models have just not been very consistent in timing of individual waves. One day they're strong, the next day they're weak. You know, an example of the Tuesday event when we talked about it last week, looked like the models were going to keep pretty much all of that moisture right along the Kansas-Nebraska border. So now as we go through this next seven-day period, once again, we have a, a system that's moving into the western United States, expected to eject toward the east-northeast, and as it does so, um, it will push some warmer wear air into our region. But unfortunately, as you push that warmer air into that region, you're going to get clouds as you lift it up over the cooler air that's been in place over the northern plains. And so the, for the eastern part of the state, it may, even though we will see temperatures that will be above normal in the fifth, you know, mid-50s to probably the lower 60s, depending on a lot of cloud cover, at least in the eastern part of the state. And of course, you always have to deal with a little bit of a drizzle, potentially. Now, as that system passes through, we look to our north and start to see uh, some of the colder air trying to push into our region and another piece of energy moves across the northern plains. At this point in time, the most likely area that would see any potential for flurries or light uh, showery activity on Saturday night would be from the northwestern panhandle to probably north-central Nebraska. Primarily to the north of there would be where we would expect the more significant uh, precipitation and even that looks questionable at best and we get a, a quick reprieve from that system as it but yet as we go into sunday night and monday there's a potential for yet another quick moving wave to move basically in the same pattern primarily affecting the western and northern part of the state but even then it looks like it's just going to be one of those events where we just get a few sprinkles and then we get a cool down for a couple days then another system comes into the western united states so we rewash repeat the pattern of seeing warmer temperatures building toward the end of the week in anticipation of a major trough coming into the western United States and moving that air uh, in an easterly fashion. So Nebraska really lies at the intersect between the cold air to the north and the warm air to the south. Any southward displacement of what is currently dis- depicted in today's model runs would mean that the light snow accumulations would dip a little bit farther into the northern half of the state. You know, a little bit farther uh, to the north, and we push more of the warm air into our state, and we blow our forecast by about 5 to 10 degrees on our temperature forecast. But more importantly, and I want to bring this to people's attention, looking at the soil temperatures up in northeastern North Dakota and northwestern Minnesota, 4-inch soil temperature under bare uh, soil conditions from the automated networks that they run up there are showing the ground has now reached the freezing marker below. So this is a couple weeks early. It may be a warning for us to pay attention to snowpack, 
because if we start to accumulating snowpack from a couple of these systems up there and don't melt it off, that's going to reinforce some of this Arctic air that has really built over Canada and is just re- waiting to release all of that energy into the areas east of the Rocky Mountains. So winter is coming, and it may be coming a little bit sooner than we were accustomed to the past couple of years. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. At Verdesian Life Sciences, we understand there is a lot of uncertainty. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jordan. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska gets back at it tomorrow as the Huskers host Northwestern. And you is coming off. It's come from a high victory against Purdue, whereas the Wildcats have won three in a row. And head coach Mike Riley breaks down Northwestern. They spread you out, throw the football, and use the running back in a very smart way. Their defense is really, really stout against the run. You know, the middle linebacker is really a good player, as is their nose tackle number one. It's going to be another one of those kind of games. It's going to be a tough game. They've won two overtime games in a row, which says something about their team, too. Northwestern in back-to-back weeks was able to knock off both Iowa and Michigan State. Kickoff tomorrow in Lincoln is set for 2.30. The NSAA State High School football playoffs continue tonight in classes A and B. It's a battle of one-loss teams tonight in the quarters as the Scottsbluff Bearcats travel five and a half hours to square off against York. York head coach Glenn Snodgrass says they're preparing for a prolific running game in this one. They scored 49 points last week against Blair, and they didn't complete a single pass. So uh, it's no secret what they're trying to do. And, and they run a unique offense. Uh, you know, we've seen it th- uh, four and five years ago, so it's not the first time we've had to prepare for it. But it is a unique offense with a couple very good backs. You know, their running back and their quarterback are real nice uh, runners. The winner will play the Elkhorn South Elkhorn winner in the semis next Friday. Kickoff tonight is set for 6 Central Time, and that game can be heard on Cool Radio in the York area and KNEB in the Scotts Bluff area. Also, the six-man playoffs are set for this afternoon. It's Harvard at Cody. That one starts at 1. Riverside has a matchup against Hay Springs at 2.30. And the final spots for the NSAA State Volleyball Tournament will be earned tomorrow as district finals take place in Classes B, C1, and C2. A federal appeals court says Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott can play in Sunday's home game against Kansas City. The NFL Players Association had asked the appeals court to let Elliott play Sunday while it considers a union's appeal. The NFL had opposed the union's request. The 4-3 Cowboys set in second place in the NFC East. And Houston is gearing up to pay tribute to the Astros in their World Series triumph over the Dodgers. The new champs will be honored with a Friday afternoon parade through downtown Houston. All classes in the Houston School District have been called off for the day. Of course, the Astros took the series with a Game 7 victory on Wednesday night in Los Angeles. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy skies tonight to Nebraska with a slight chance of drizzle in the east and central areas, lows ranging from the low 30s to lower 40s. I'm Dave Schroeder. 36 attorneys general have signed onto a legal brief in support of South Dakota's bid to collect sales taxes from out-of-state Internet retailers. South Dakota is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to review whether retailers can be required to collect sales taxes in states where they lack a physical presence. The case could have national implications for e-commerce. State Attorney General Marty Packley 
said Thursday that Colorado filed a friend-of-the-court brief supporting South Dakota's petition to the court. The state is seeking to overturn legal rulings issued mostly before online shopping boom began. The brief also includes such states as Nebraska and Wyoming. A Hickman resident died after his pickup truck crashed off a state highway. The accident happened around 7 a.m. this morning, about five miles east of Firth. The Lancaster County Sheriff's Office says 22-year-old Benjamin Kruger was driving when the pickup ran off Nebraska Highway 43. It went airborne and rolled several times. The office says Kruger died at the scene. The cause of the crash is being investigated. The natural gas explosion that tore apart a Lincoln house has claimed a neighboring home. Jeannie Jason died as a result of the blast, and her husband Jim was injured. Investigators have said the house had filled with natural gas and the ignition source was inside. Contractors last week applied for a city demolition permit to raise the house directly south of the Jason property. Kansas saw its budget picture improve yesterday because of a new fiscal forecast for state government. The legislators doubted the higher projected revenues will be enough to cover a court-mandated increase in spending on public schools. Kansas's economic forecasting group boosted projections for tax collections by nearly $225 million for Kansas's current and next year budget years through June of 2019. And governors of 19 western states are pressing the federal government to do more to prevent the spread of damage causing invasive mussels from infected federally managed waterways. The Western Governors Association sent a letter urging Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke to put in place by spring 2018 controls to prevent the spread of zebra and quagga mussels. The governors are asking that federal agencies conduct mandatory inspections and decontamination of boats leaving infected water bodies. The governors say they're particularly concerned about the mussels reaching the Columbia River Basin, Lake Tahoe, and the Colorado River Basin above Lake Powell. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. This is Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network, and I have the honor of talking to Dr. Wendy Winterstein, who has been the Dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at Iowa State since 2006, and has now been named President of the University. And uh, Dr. Winterstein, congratulations on your appointment. Well, thank you so much. I'm so honored and humbled to serve as Iowa State University's 16th President. Another thing that I saw that uh, you are the first woman and also the first ISU alumnus to be uh, named president. That's got to make you feel pretty good. You know it does. And I, I love the opportunity to be a role model to other women, to our uh, young female students, and to all of our students. But, but it is another grass, uh, excuse me, glass ceiling that we broke in Iowa. We have a female governor, we have a female senator, and now a female president of Iowa State University. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Dr. Winterstein, as you look forward, what is your vision for Iowa State? Iowa State University has an extraordinary record uh, in every aspect of its mission, in teaching, in research, and extension and outreach. And I think we always start first with our students. So my vision is to create even greater excellence in that student-centered experience, to make sure that we're taking care of all of our students, 
that we're enhancing the graduation rates, that we're giving our students the out-of-class room experiences that really prepare them to be leaders in their careers uh, and, and to be successful in their lives. Uh, I think also we want to focus on what we do in our research program and how that leads to innovation, to entrepreneurship, and to economic development opportunities in Iowa. I think those two key areas are where I will focus a lot of my time. Now, enrollment is as strong as ever at Iowa State, and I imagine the things that you were just talking about will go a long way to keeping that enrollment up. Is that important to you, to have those numbers as high as ever? It certainly is. When Iowa State was able to grow, it really gave us a new set of opportunities. One, it allowed us to have a more diverse student population, and that's an advantage to all of our students. 24% of Iowa State students now are international or multicultural students, and that is another way that we enhance the environment for all students as they prepare to work in a global economy. So 36,000 students is a great number, and I think we're going to be able to maintain that uh, number, especially if we're doing what we need to to maintain the quality for our students and to be competitive nationally in all of our programs so that we really are a magnet to draw students here from the nation, from well, from Iowa, the nation, and the world. Now, I mentioned that uh, you've been the Dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences since 2006, but you've also been connected to the university for for many years. Is that familiarity with the university going to help you in your transition into the presidency? Yes. You know, I said that I would be ready to go on day one, and I understand the culture of Iowa State. I understand the culture of Iowa, and I think that makes a tremendous difference as you prepare to move forward uh, to take Iowa State University to that next level. So I know the people. I can sit down and have a conversation uh, with with students and faculty and staff that already know me, and so we don't have to go through uh, that process of learning as much. Of course, I don't know everything about Iowa State, so I will be doing a listening around the university so that I can make sure I hear from everyone. Every corner of the university uh, is a place that I want to visit and get to know the people so that I can really begin to serve the entire university. As you, as you look ahead, what challenges do you see at this point? Well, I believe that, first of all, we have to look at our budget. Uh, we are always working hard every day uh, to be very efficient in our operations, and, and efficiency through continuous innovation is going to be one of my phrases that I use over and over again as president. So we're going to make sure that we spend every dollar we receive from our Iowa tax uh, payers uh, to the tuition we receive from our students. We spend those dollars wisely and appropriately, but we do have to have enough of a budget to really deliver the quality program that our students need. So I think budget will be one of the biggest challenges that we face, and, and that will be a challenge that we work on together with the Board of Regents, with the state legislature, and with the governor. Uh, finally, Dr. Winterstein, uh, what message would you give to prospective students and the, the parents of those students considering Iowa State? I would say that uh, we can go back to our old marketing message that has been so wonderful, come to Iowa State and find your adventure. Uh, and that has been uh, really a great marketing tool for us. But 
the truth is, is that students do come to Iowa State and they do find their own adventure. And it's an adventure that makes them successful in the classroom and outside of the classroom in various clubs, judging teams, athletics, the Greek community, just so many different communities where students can find a home at Iowa State. We know if students choose to come to Iowa State and they want to work hard, that they will be able to achieve their full potential. And we're going to have the, continue to have the environment that allows them to do that. That's Dr. Wendy Winterstein, who has been the Dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at Iowa State University since 2006. And on November 6th, she will be installed as the new president of Iowa State University. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe, I'm sure the cash cattle sales of yesterday had something to do with that rally in livestock futures, at least cattle. Oh, yeah, it definitely, definitely did. Uh, we even got some uh, limit up in, uh, on the finish. Uh, uh, we did have limit up in the December, but it only finished two cents off a of limit up in uh, the February limit up. Other Others through uh, next August, triple-digit gains, so... Very positive day. 125 paid for some cattle down in Kansas, and that really uh, uh, caught the attention of uh, the trade. Uh, uh, then you add on, uh, uh, you know, positive uh, cutouts both yesterday and today at noon, and uh, we got uh, one thing we do have is our volatility back. Uh, can't deny that. And we end up with a higher weekly close in uh, both cattle and in uh, feeders. Now, as we turn over to the hogs, uh, gee whiz, uh, having some trouble there. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to finish lower. For the most part, we're going to finish lower. And uh, uh, cash uh, beginning to uh, soften, and that's what's uh, kind of uh, leading the way now. It was leading the way up. It's now leading the way down. Cutouts were higher at noon, though, so uh, that, that didn't... Uh, hold back on the uh, selling in the uh, in the hogs we do close moderately lower though in the in the hogs and going to finish just barely higher for the week in the hogs so all in all really wasn't that bad a week uh, with all three closing a little higher thanks joe joe teal great plains commodities for more information call them at 800-328-0134 i'm dewey nelson Final discussion of Fridays in the Field with ag producers across the state. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. I was out east of Bridgeport this week where I met up with Bridgeport farmer Jeff Pohl, combine in a cornfield in preparation to let his cattle out into it. He invited me to ride along in the combine with him and his co-pilot, Gambit, a black lab. Jeff, did the dry bean harvest hold you up any for a corn harvest? We're finished with our bean harvest now. Uh, this year, due to some damp weather and cool weather, uh, the bean harvest was probably two weeks later than what it normally would have went. Uh, consequently, we had some beans that maybe laid on the ground a little longer than they should have. Uh, we'd like to have laid on the ground two weeks to a month. But uh, overall, the bean harvest ended up, in the end, being pretty good yields. Uh, it just was kind of trying and had to be patient and getting them picked up. So, But otherwise, they turned out pretty well. Jeff, you tried some direct harvest beans this year. How did they work out for you? Some direct harvest, started dabbling in that, and uh, them beans turned out 
within about oh five bushel of what the other the, the conventional way we've been doing it over the years. So I think it, looking for the future, I guess we're going to probably consider trying more of that. Jeff, do you think you'll be planting more direct harvest beans next year? Depending a little bit upon the price and economics of the situation. Bean price harvest start was relatively good compared to corn and other crops, and toward the end of its fell now, and toward the end of harvest, it's back kind of maybe even with corn. So I don't know what we'll do next year, but probably going to, if we do plant some beans, we'll probably maybe try some more of the direct harvest. So, Jeff, how is corn harvest coming along then? Corn harvest, we're just starting actually. We've only done a, probably a few circles so far. Uh, just getting started, corn's just kind of getting dried down the point, it's drying up the store. Uh, we're gonna take enough corn out here soon so we can get some cattle on corn stalks and then we'll come back and kind of finish the rest of it. So, But so far the corn's been actually good corn for this area in my ground so we're kind of optimistic at this point. So, Jeff, I know some producers are having trouble with the weather, especially in the east, where some corn acres have been blown over. Are you having any challenges in the field? So far, the weather's been pretty good. We've had the weather right now is today's a little uh, cool and uh, windy, but uh, it's starting to maybe blow some of it over, but not at this point. We haven't, I haven't been anywhere it's been blew over yet, so it's a, it's a concern. But it's starting to get dried down the point now. We're going to get going. Uh, the yields have been pretty good, just if the weather. I guess the biggest fear right now would be if we'd have to get a snowstorm or something like that to prevent us from finishing it. But uh, at the next few weeks, we'll push on and try to get done with corn harvest. So, Jeff, I understand you are combining this field in preparation for your cattle. Will you be putting calves out on the stalks as well? This time of year, we've already weaned the calves, and they're in the corral at home. We're feeding them, and I'll background them till my operation. We background calves till probably the end of January. Now the cattle are still on grass, and here in the next, oh, probably week even, we get the corn stalks here fenced. We'll uh, go start moving cattle off grass and get them out on the stalks. So get them some better food to eat so for the winter. Jeff says he will hopefully be done with corn harvest by Thanksgiving as he combines in the afternoons or weekends, since he is also busy with the cattle and other farming tasks. Some of the corn he combines will be sold to the Bridgeport ethanol plant, taken to the grain elevators, and used for his own cattle. For more Fridays in the Field, check out the podcasts at kneb.com backslash ag hyphen podcast, or watch all the video interviews from the series on ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We saw soybeans close with double-digit losses today, pulling the corn down. Let's uh, talk with Mark Hendershot. He's with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Mark, let's start with soybeans and weather in Brazil. I would guess that was a factor in in seeing those uh, futures drop today. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, over the next 10 days... They have uh, called for a little bit more rain, and it's going to lighten up the the dryness that we're seeing in Brazil over some of the northern parts of the country. You know, and it's 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 going to be fundamentally it's going to be a tough climb higher. I just think beans are are definitely a trade that the funds like this year for some reason. But from a fundamental standpoint, Brazil's weather, our big crop, I just don't see how it's still at this level. Yeah. So, what about the corn? Uh, you know, we're still in that same same old trading range, right around that uh, three forty eight to three fifty two level or three fifty one in 
December. Maybe we're going to start focusing on that March contract sometime soon. Yeah, the the dease goes off the board the uh, the thirtieth or the first notice day is the thirtieth of November, the last day of November. That's when you have to be out of the long positions in your dease, and then we'll go to March. Right now, corn's in a really tight trading range between three forty-five. If you want to stretch it to three fifty-five, if you get to fifty-five, maybe sixty. You know, I think you got to be a seller of the some of the July contracts or the May contracts with the with the carry in the market. It makes sense to sell some of the deferreds, but right now, I, I mean, I, I've done nothing through the month of October just simply because there's nothing to do. I mean, we've been trading between four cent ranges and right. for months. So. Yeah. You uh, look at that Kansas City uh, contract in December. Wait, we actually closed a little bit higher today, but it seemed to have lacked direction in the wheat market, didn't it? It, it did. It did. I think a lot of people are watching these, the planning progress and things like that. Uh, I've been talking to guys, you know, through North Dakota, South Dakota, and there's supposed to be some snow coming over the weekend. I think they had some snow over the last few days. I think that could slow the planning down, and I think the inconsistencies in weather are going to cause this market to go up and down and probably probably lean more to the downside. But right now, the funds are about, in my opinion, probably pretty close to maxed out in this wheat on the short side. So I'd be real careful going short on this if I was a, if I was a, or selling your grain if I'm a farmer. All right. Thanks. Mark Hendershot. Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. As we said, Kansas City wheat a little bit higher. Uh, we were almost steady in Chicago wheat today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.